Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and this episode is an interview I did with Sarah Philippi as she'll be discussing breast implant illness and how it can potentially be a cause of different health conditions, including thyroid autoimmunity. But even if you don't have breast implants, I would encourage you to listen to this interview, as without question, there are other environmental toxins that can potentially trigger Graves' disease and Hashimoto's, and so I think the information will be highly valuable. But of course, if you or someone you know has breast implants, then this is a must listen. And so let's get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. So with me, I have Sarah Philippi, and we're going to be discussing breast implant illness and, of course, tying it into thyroid health and thyroid autoimmunity. And welcome. Thank you so much for, for joining me, Sarah. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Just to share Sarah's background. So again, she's a registered nurse as well as a, she became a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, true cellular detox practitioner, as well as a breast implant illness expert. And Sarah believes that the solution to reversing breast implant illness is about more than just the explants and that we all need to take personal responsibility for restoring our health by addressing all the root causes that contribute to chronic illness. And it's also Sarah's belief that the body has an innate desire to heal if given what it needs. And she focuses on teaching women how to unlock that innate intelligence and heal themselves. Why don't we start off by just telling people your story and how you started helping others with breast implant illness? Yeah. So, you know, I I always tell people that my story goes back to childhood, really, and to a time where I think, you know, I was very impressionable. I mean, kids are impressionable, right? Um, They're just like little sponges absorbing the world and making meaning out of everything. So my desire for breast implants came from much earlier on in in my life when my grandmother told me that I was going to be four foot 11, just like her, but not to worry because I'll have the Johnson boobs. And so that just made me, it really gave what it means to be a woman and sexy and, you know, desirable, an entirely different meaning, right? And so I started to learn the worldview of that at a really early age. And that is where my desire for bigger breasts started. And, you know, I saw my mom growing up teased a little bit by our family members for having a flat chest and, you know, maybe not fitting into certain clothes a certain way and things like that. And she, you know, she took it, she tolerated it fine. It didn't bug her too much, but, you know, I didn't want that. I didn't want to be teased and I wanted to be in the the Johnson boob club, you know, (laughs) I wanted to be like that side of the family. 
And so fast forward, I, you know, went through life just, you know, as I got into like middle school, I started stuffing my bra to make myself look a certain way because I just wanted that, you know, what my grandma had said I needed, you know, she told me, don't worry as if, if I didn't get that, you know, the Johnson boobs, I had something to worry about. And so, you know, stuffing my bra in middle school and then getting, you know, once I was an adult becoming really, really into the fitness lifestyle and taking up bodybuilding, never with the intention of performing on a stage, but just with the intention of wanting to achieve a certain physical goal. And so when I was about 30, that fitness lifestyle led me to finally making the choice to have the breast implants placed to just have the look that I had always wanted since I could remember. And I would say within about six months, I started developing some unusual symptoms that, you know, I did Google searching on and just thought that, you know, it was probably thyroid issue. So I had, you know, hair loss, I was fatigued, I would sleep a lot, I needed to sleep a lot later than usual. I had some skin issues, I had dry skin, I had some you know, constipation, same anxiety, just different things like that. So nothing terribly alarming, but just some symptoms that I wasn't used to. I started gaining some weight despite what I ate and despite exercise. And I just started feeling and looking bloated and puffy. And so I did, you know, like I said, did my own research and I was at the time working as a nurse on night shift and I had been working as a nurse on night shift for five years. And so part of me thought that maybe that was part of the problem as well, which obviously is a huge stress on the body shift work. I mean, we're just not designed to live that way as human beings, right? So compounding effects there, but, you know, I searched out doctors who said my labs look normal and maybe I needed, you know, to spice up my sex life or, you know, therapy or something like that because my sex drive was also lower. And that wasn't sufficient for me. I wasn't willing to accept that. And I knew there was something deeper. I knew there was something more to understand about what was going on in my body. And so then I looked into functional medicine and naturopathic doctors and finally found someone who was willing to see me and acknowledge that I had Hashimoto's and treat me for it. And I thought that would be my solution, the treatment, because I was still living and working in this, you know, conventional allopathic medical model. And so I hadn't even really transitioned into a different way of thinking at that point yet. The further I got into, you know, just seeing her and being treated, I realized that it was really just a pill for every ill, even though it was a little bit more natural of an approach rather than a medical approach. And I started developing lots more symptoms, you know, gas, bloating, alternating diarrhea and constipation, food intolerances, cystic acne, severe anxiety to the point where I could barely even stand to be in public, any kind of stimulation, sound, loud noise, chemical smells, different lights, so bright lights even, being around a lot of people, just like that extra stimulation of any kind just threw me over the edge. And so it was just like my nervous system was so irritated that anything else layered on top would just tip me over. And I remember just not being able to cope with working out anymore. It was too much of a stress on my body. And I didn't want to believe that. I I continued to push through and push through and push through, even though I struggled so much. And to the point where, like my husband, my poor husband, he's been through so much. But, you know, 
when we were working out together, I would just be so irritated if he, if I could even hear him breathing <laughs> because the sound, just even sound was so irritating to me. So it just progressively got worse and worse and worse. And I experienced a whole wide range of symptoms that were, you know, quote unquote, unexplainable. And there was a point at which I had the intuition of thinking, I wonder if this is breast implants. Um, I wonder if my breast implants could be causing this because I didn't have any symptoms to speak of, even though my diet and lifestyle were not healthy before my breast augmentation. And so I started doing some Google searches. All I came across was this one lady on realself.com, which is just, you know, like a a place where people communicate with each other and ask questions and get responses from the community as a whole. Right. And she was saying how she had developed an autoimmune condition after having a breast augmentation, but that was one person, you know, it wasn't enough for me to just go off of a hunch or a, a gut instinct and take action and get their breast implants out. There was nobody talking about it back then. There were no Facebook groups. There were no websites. There were no doctors that had any real clue about it. And so I put that on the back burner, even though it was like this deep instinct within me. And I kept going down this rabbit hole of chasing, you know, conditions like SIBO and chronic Lyme disease and parasites and fungal overgrowth and neurotransmitter imbalances and hormone imbalances. And at that time, what we called stage three adrenal fatigue. And, and it really didn't get me very far because I was just swimming upstream with the source still in place. Right. So I was doing all the right things, but just not getting as far as I wanted to go. And I saw lots mm-hmm. of really well-known doctors in the functional medicine world who told me when I point blank asked if my breast implants could be causing this, would tell me, uh, no, I don't think it's your breast implants. I think we just need to address this infection or that infection or this hormone imbalance. And you're going to feel better. And your breast implants, even if they are an issue now, won't be an issue then. Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. So a lot of misinformation, a lot of misguidance. But at the end of the day, for me, fast forward many years down the road, I finally decided to explant really based on the fact that I had been trying to conceive for several years without success. And there's just this deep knowing inside of me that my breast implants were a part of this picture. And I finally decided to listen to that gut instinct when it became no longer about just me. I started to think about how might this affect, you know, a growing baby inside of me, even if I did get pregnant, you know, and I knew I had done some research over the years and hadn't, I discovered that, you know, breast implants cause a lot of problems and that there, there's a lot of chemicals and toxins within them. And, you know, thinking about, I'll go into some more reasons why they're not healthy for you after this, but just to kind of, for keeping things concise, I'll say that thinking about how problematic they are for me and then wondering what that might do for an unborn child or a breastfeeding Mm -hmm. child, you know, and feeling personally responsible for that, if that were the case. And so that is what finally led me to the decision to explant. So it was a long six year road of getting there. And I think women now, I mean, there's so much information available now and so many support groups now that it's a lot easier to make that choice and be confident in that choice. But for me, just because of the timing of everything and the lack of information out there, it was a long road. It was a long road. Yeah. Uh, how, how long ago was the explant procedure? So we're coming up on four years. Okay. Yeah. Great. Four years in October. So when it comes to like symptoms of uh, breast implant illness, 
other common symptoms that women experience or is it completely different depending on the person? I would say, and I think this is the the case with most chronic illness that it, it tends to be very vague, right? And it the symptoms tend to cross a lot of different lines of different diagnoses. And so it can be really mysterious. It can be really hard to, especially for if you're seeing a doctor who really doesn't know anything about breast implants and breast implant illness in specific, they've never heard of it or they don't believe in it, you know, things like that. So it can be really challenging. You know, I try to not focus too much on, on like getting someone to tell you, yes, you have breast implant illness. If you have breast implants and you have a lot of symptoms that are, you know, you're not getting a, an explanation for from your doctor, then the implants are a part of the problem. And so people will generally experience a wide range of different symptoms. And it really depends on all the different additional stressors they have in their lives too, you know, and so they'll experience things like chronic fatigue, cognitive dysfunction. So things like brain fog, difficulty concentrating, poor word retrieval, memory loss. And I will personally say that I had the worst time with brain fog and difficulty learning new information and retaining it. I would have to read something 20 times just to like, for it to like sink in and process what it was that I was reading muscle aches and pains, joint pain, hair loss, weight gain or weight loss, temperature intolerance, low libido, heart palpitations, ringing in the ears, shortness of breath, metallic taste in the mouth, night sweat, skin rashes, insomnia, which is another one that I suffered with horrendously, hormone dysregulation, swollen and tender lymph nodes. That's also a big one. Numbness and tingling in the extremities, cold, discolored hands and feet, foul body odor, muscle twitching, vertigo, frequent urination, sensitivity to light and sound and chemical smells, feeling like you're aging really fast, visual disturbances, liver and kidney dysfunction, GI issues like gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, GERD, heartburn, food intolerances, persistent chronic infections that don't resolve, cough, you know, a chronic cough, difficulty swallowing, feeling like you're choking, chronic inflammation, feeling like you're dying, headaches, dizziness, migraines, mood swings, emotional instability, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, suicidal thoughts. I mean, that's a huge list. Yeah. So even if you had just a few of those, I'm sure you'd be questioning whether or not it's the breast implants or something else. But I'm telling you, if you have breast implants and you have chronic symptoms of any kind, regardless of how many or how intense they are, if you want to truly heal the body, the first step is removing the source. And there can be more than one source, but the breast implants certainly should be considered as at least one of those sources. And there's different types of breast implants. Does it make a difference? Are some safer than others? Yeah. There, so I would not say that any breast implants are, I would not consider any of them safe, but there are different types. And so you have silicone and saline, the newer, new-ish, I would say, I think they were really released on the market around 2007, are the cohesive gel um, silicone implants, which were deemed to be safe by the FDA, but really, truly, they're just as harmful, if not more harmful than the old silicone implants, you know, back from like the 80s and 90s, you know, that I think we all remember the Dow Corning lawsuits, right? And so they have 
they cause problems in different ways. So the silicone breast implants are full of, you know, cytotoxic carcinogenic, carcinogenic, you know, neuro, neuroendocrine disrupting chemicals. And so these are things like methyl ethyl ketone, cyclohexone, acetone, xylene, phenol, dichloromethane, toluene, benzene, talcum powder, formaldehyde, lacquer thinner, printing ink, metal cleaning acid, all kinds of different heavy metals like aluminum and tin and lead and platinum, and then silicone, of course. And silicone is in some cases, in some schools of thought, considered an adjuvant connected to certain autoimmune conditions. And so you have this chemical soup, so to speak, that is just living in the body. And it does the silicone gel implants do start bleeding into the lymphatic system at body temperature. So they've never been studied long-term. They've never had clinical trials proving it's sa- their safety long-term. And sure, if you set them on a shelf, they're going to last forever. But when you put them in a body that's the temperature is, you know, 98.6 or, you know, give or take a little bit. And you're also not stationary. You know, you're not just sitting there doing nothing. You're living your life. You're active. You may have injuries. You may have falls. You may have trauma. You may have car accidents, something like that. And all of these things produce wear and tear in addition to the fact that they can bleed at body temperature and leach their contents out into the surrounding lymphatic tissue. And the lymph is a highway, right? It can mobilize all kinds of different things throughout the entire body. And so then you end up with not only congested lymph nodes, but also congested liver and kidneys. And, you know, you can, some people find that they're actually moving silicone out of the bowels. And so it, there's, you know, anecdotal evidence that it mobilizes. And then the, uh, the saline implants, you know, of course, they're made with a silicone shell. So you don't have quite the array of chemicals in the saline implants. So from the toxicity standpoint, they could be considered by some maybe a smidge safer. But the silicone itself is a neurotoxin, and it is incredibly pervasive in the environment, not just in the breast implants. Right. So we see silicone. If you look at labels, I mean, you'll see you'll see it in your beauty care products, your skincare products, your makeup, your hair care products. You use it um, in replacement of plastic in the kitchen, you know, and with like even cooking utensils. And here we are heating those utensils up when we're cooking Mm -hmm. and that, you know, makes its way into the food. And so it's not a safe alternative to plastic by any means. But so you've got that in the in the saline implants and then the saline itself can act as a Petri dish for different microbes to get in and thrive and wreak havoc on the immune system. And it's because the saline implants have this valve that's used to fill the implant with saline when it's placed in the body. And that valve can either be defective upon implantation, or it can become damaged over time just from wear and tear or some kind of trauma to the chest wall. And so at that point, you have fluid that can go both ways. And so bodily fluids can get in and the saline can get out and whatever's in that implant growing in that medium can also make its way through the body and, you know, cause the widespread of systemic chronic systemic infections. So we have seen when certain surgeons are doing cultures upon explantation, there are like 10 different types of bacteria being found between the implant and the capsule. So we know this is not a sterile environment. 
Mm -hmm. This is a place where bugs are growing and thriving. And so that creates, you know, all by itself creates immune problems. And then you add the fact that implants are a foreign object. They don't belong there. And your body is responding by creating scar tissue to basically wall them off. That's the capsule to protect you basically. And that's your body doing its job, what it's supposed to do, but it knows they don't belong there. So there's that also chronic immune stimulation. So from what I understand, there's a few different ways that potentially they can trigger autoimmunity or at least be a factor in different autoimmune conditions such as Graves, Hashimoto's, multiple sclerosis, and pretty much any autoimmune condition, not just the toxicity of the implants, uh, the silicone, as well as other toxins, but also making you more susceptible to infections, which also can be, be an, a, a trigger as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I typically, the clients that I've worked with, typically, I've almost, I would say, I can't think of a single person who has not come to me with at least one autoimmune condition. And, you know, it doesn't have to be this raging out of control autoimmune condition, it can be a level of antibody activity that can still be problematic. And, you know, it it certainly is, I I would say, in the majority of the cases, uh, reversible. What damage is done is not necessarily reversible, but the process can be stopped usually. So that's where, you know, getting the source out is really important as well. So if someone, you know, someone has um, breast implants and, you know, and they're uh, listening to this, uh, watching this, and if they think it might possibly be an issue, what would you recommend? Would you recommend for them to, uh, I guess maybe find a doctor, an explant doctor to disc, um, or someone like you just uh, to um, chat with. So I would, I think really helpful resource because my work tends to focus on women who either a know they want to explant already have a date scheduled and they want to do whatever they can to start prepping their body for that surgery for a good outcome or two B, I don't know. What did I say? A or, or one, (laughs) I think I said A. So B would be the other type of person is someone who's already explanted and who still doesn't feel well. And that's really where I start teaching that it's healing is about more than the explant, right? And so those tend to be the two types of women that I work with. And so for those of you who are just hearing about this for the first time, or maybe you've been thinking about it and wondering and are not sure and want to just kind of start doing some research, a really great resource that I would highly recommend is a website called breastimplantillness.com. That website actually has um, explant surgeons listed by country and state. So people who are recommended who, you know, either have been recommended by other patients or, you know, the people who manage that website have done their due diligence and their own research to put together part of that list as well. So you can, you know, look at who's in, who's in your area and start having communication with those people, start a conversation with those, with those surgeons. And then, you know, there's really helpful, you know, people in the different Facebook groups too. There's a lot of Facebook groups out there for breast implant illness, mine being one of them, but you can get a, a lot of good support there if you're just kind of starting out. And this, this is the beginning of your journey. And what, what's yeah. the name? What's the name of your Facebook group? Reversing breast implant illness. Okay. And let's see here. And so the things you want to look for in a surgeon, you know, once you uh, are starting to have 
conversation with surgeons. And I think it's important to interview different surgeons so that you can get a feel for, you know, who feels like the right fit to you. Who do you connect with? Who do you have confidence in and trust? Right. And so things you want to look for are a surgeon who ideally doesn't put implants in anymore, who only does explant surgeries because they're going to, I think, believe in what they're doing a lot more. And I think that's really important. So I think it's important that the surgeon believes in breast implant illness, believes that what you're telling them is true, understands breast implant illness, understands the the thought process behind it all and why they're problematic. And, and because of that has made a decision to no longer put them in. And then secondly, you want to find someone who will remove your implants on block and also do a complete capsulectomy. So that's the ideal scenario for an explant procedure. So on block just means that the implant and the capsule that surrounds them are coming out together as one unit rather than the alternative, which is cutting the capsule open mm-hmm. and, and then taking the implant out um, separately and then either just leaving the capsule in and closing you up or maybe if you're lucky, that that pulling the capsule out. And so most surgeons who don't believe in breast implant illness are just going to pull the implant out and leave the capsule in. They're not going to take the capsule out. And so I've actually heard, uh, spoken with many women who have like three and four capsules in their body because they've had lots of replacements. And each time the surgeon just leaves the capsule there. But if you just think about the fact that the capsule is like this matrix and it is a lot of people think of it as like the protection right but it's actually not as protective as you would hope because when you look at it under a microscope the capsule is actually a lot more lace-like and so it has holes and a lot of things become ingrained within that capsule microbes oops biofilms um toxins silicone, things like that. And so that can continue to be an immune stimulant. And so you want to get that out. And so the other thing, the reason why I am a strong believer in on block is that if you're cutting the capsule open and there's a rupture, you know, and nine times out of 10, you can't tell if, especially if it's silicone implants, you can't tell until you get in there. If there's a rupture, lots of false negatives on MRIs. And then you've got silicone just spilling out into the body and into the lymphatic system. And you're in a far worse condition than you were before you went in for that surgery. And so we want to minimize that risk, right? And have the best outcome possible. And so that's why I strongly advocate for finding someone who can guarantee you an on-block explant and then also going in and removing any speck of of capsule that's left behind after that on-block explant. And sometimes that means scraping ribs and, you know, cutting some tissue out and and things like that. So you just really want someone who's going to do the best job for you so that you can have the best outcome and best healing possible afterward. So if someone chooses the right surgeon, there's a pretty good chance they'll only need one explant, whereas if they choose the wrong one, there's a chance they might need multiple explants, correct? Absolutely. And I, I'm a I'm a believer in getting it right the first time and, you know, going with someone who maybe quoted you a lower price, for instance, because, you know, they're not spending as much time in there being really meticulous about it. That's not saving you any money because you're likely going to need to go back for another surgery. 
And in the end, that results in far more money spent than if you just had one surgery. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Uh, so you mentioned you went to a number of different functional medicine practitioners, some of the top doctors, mm-hmm. and you know, and there were different diagnoses, or, or they suspected different things, maybe like chronic Lyme, which I actually dealt with a few years ago. So like if a scenario um, presented where someone with breast implants went to a functional medicine practitioner, and let's say they were experiencing a lot of the symptoms you mentioned, and they were diagnosed with chronic Lyme, but they also had the breast implants. What, so my perspective is that the Lyme might not be as big of a problem with the toxicity. So not, not to say that the, and again, I'd love, of course, to get your, your opinion on it. But, but again, a, a lot of people have Lyme and don't know it. You know, I had Lyme for who knows how long and, and didn't know it as well. But um, I guess uh, what would be your you know, opinion if someone went somewhere or else and if they were told they had chronic Lyme or toxic mold, something, some type of chronic condition, and they also had the breast implants, would you have them, would you recommend for them to look into getting the explant first or to address the, the chronic Lyme problem or the, the, the mold toxicity problem? Yeah, it's a really tricky question because the way I think about it is, the Lyme isn't typically the problem, (laughs) you know, of course, mold toxicity, different story, Mm -hmm. but the Lyme, the bugs in it within us that have just started to come alive and, you know, become more active and wreak havoc in the body. They're a result. They're a downstream result of a toxic terrain. And when we clean up the body and we work on repairing the immune system, yes, Oftentimes, antimicrobials are still warranted in that case, but the outcome is going to be so much better. And the journey, the time it takes is going to be so much shorter. And you're not going to feel like you're just chronically swimming upstream. It's an uphill battle. And that's what it was like for me when I was trying to overcome these things. Yes, I did get better. I got a lot better, actually. I think I probably got about 50% better. But there was this you know, block in the road, I couldn't make any more progress. And so a lot of money and time was wasted on that, you know, on trying to achieve a certain goal by going after a pathogen or, you know, something like that, when I would have probably had a lot better success with that approach that I was taking had I removed that chronic source of immune dysfunction, immune stimulation, and toxic exposure, like just bleeding and, you know, within my body day in and day out, you know, and so a lot of these toxins that are in breast implants that are bleeding into the body are not only toxic to us and creating a toxic overload, this overflow and toxic bucket, but they're also feeding pathogens, you know, mm-hmm. certain pathogens use these toxins to create the their biofilm around themselves to protect themselves from being killed and they feed on them as well. So it's just feeding a bigger problem. And so what I typically see is that, yes, the breast implants are a big problem, one of the biggest problems, but, you know, things don't typically happen in isolation. It's never one thing. It's usually a multitude of stressors that have come together to create this perfect storm situation. And so oftentimes, you know, it breaks my heart for people to think that the breast implants, you know, just the explant is all that's needed and they're just medically better. Um, And sometimes there is this, what I call honeymoon period 
after explant where people are just like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. This symptom is gone. This symptom is gone. I no longer have this. I am all of a sudden, my skin looks amazing. And, and it's this period of time where they do feel better because they've had a significant stressor relieved, right? But then what happens if they do nothing else? you know, three, four, five, six months later, a year later, Mm -hmm. even two years later, maybe symptoms start creeping back up. And it's because there was more going on than what met the eye. Um, And so I always encourage people to work with someone, uh, a practitioner who understands all of these different factors and, and what kinds of stressors impact function so that you can address them all, not just one, and really truly get the body back into balance and clean up the terrain. And so, you know, to answer, this is a little bit long-winded, but to answer your question, you know, I think that step one should be explant versus going down this rabbit hole of chasing pathogens when the thing upstream that's feeding them all is still there, you know, and before explant, there's still work you can do while you're waiting, you know, but the deeper work I think should be reserved for once you're explanted. All right, great. Yeah, and can you talk a little bit about that? The like how someone would uh, would do a detox? Should they, you know, should they take supplements? Uh, take a dietary approach? Do infrared sauna? You know, I'm sure there's not just one approach, but but what what would you recommend when once someone does get the explant procedure? Yeah. So you know, before explant or either before explant or the first step in you know addressing what needs to be addressed, you know, healing after explant are fairly the same in my opinion. So the first step is always opening drainage pathways, opening detox pathways. You know, you can't, you can't move things out of the body. You can't detox the body. You can't go on a bug killing spree. If all your drainage pathways, your drainage organs, your detox organs, whatever you want to call them are clogged up or they're not moving well, you know? And so first thing is the bowels have to be moving, gotta be pooping regularly two to three times a day. And then, you know, things like liver and kidneys and gallbladder and lymph and the gut microbiome, you know, all of those things need to be dialed in before you can go deeper into, you know, detox work or addressing certain pathogens and things need to be done in the right order. You know, I often see people thinking all they need to do is detox. And so they're just Google searching detox after excellent silicone detox, BII detox, you know, things like that. And that's not always the solution for most people. Most people need to focus on some gut work first and start reducing the load of pathogenic overgrowth in the gut and balancing the gut microbiome and healing the gut lining a bit. And then you can go deeper with detox work and detoxing things like heavy metals and chemicals and environmental toxins and silicone and, you know, things like that. And if you try to do it in the wrong order, oftentimes you're going to feel a lot worse, you know, and that's just, you know, it's something that we can avoid and it doesn't have to be a miserable experience. And, you know, Detox, I think it's thrown a lot around a lot all over the place and different people have different meanings behind it when they say detox. And my, what I mean by detox is really actively pulling, chelating, you know, heavy metals and toxins out of the body. And yes, I think diet is very important. Lifestyle 
choices are very important, but food isn't going to pull those chemicals and heavy metals out of your tissues. They've been stored there for years since before birth even. So when you were in utero, you were accumulating toxins from your mother and, and from your grandmother and your great grandmother, you know, they're passed down generation to generation. And that happens because when you're as a woman, when you're creating a baby inside of you, a new body, you're remodeling your own body. You're remodeling bone and fatty tissue, and you're sending it to that growing child in your uterus. And with that comes toxins that have been stored in your bones and fatty tissue. Um, so we're, we're, we enter this world already toxic. Okay. So it's not just about the breast implants and the silicone and things like that. We're detoxing from a wide range of different toxins that we're exposed to from utero and beyond. So I think that's important to remember, you know, that it's just not like a breast implant illness detox. It's a Mm -hmm. detox from the life that we live. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, that is not a short process, you know, since you've been accumulating it your whole life, it doesn't happen in 30 days or 90 days. You know, it takes many I would say years to pull all of that out. And you're chronically exposed to more and more and more. So it has to be a lifestyle. You really have to incorporate detox as a lifestyle and learn how to do that. And then I think going after deeper, more stealthy pathogens becomes a little bit easier because you've cleaned up that terrain, you know, and you can work on repairing immune function and going after stealth pathogens. So you said it's been about four years since you got your explant procedure. How how long after that did you start feeling like yourself? Goodness. You know, my journey was a little bit different, I would say, because I had done a lot of the like stuff that, you know, people in functional medicine often do, you know, to address root cause, you know, what are considered root causes. And so I had gotten about 50% better. And so I wasn't like miserable, you know, by the time I explanted. But I still had some GI issues. I still had gas and bloating and just a real hard time with bowel movements and um, some skin issues and anxiety and irritability and still feeling like very, like, like my nervous system was very overwhelmed and, and, and fertility issues, of course, and hormone imbalances. And, you know, my, my menstrual cycles were very abnormal still. And so after explant, I don't know that I would say that I've just felt you know, amazing or even a significant change. But what I will say is that other people noticed a difference in me. And so people that I maybe hadn't seen in a little while, or even people who are close to me noticed, and they would tell me that I just looked lighter and softer and just not as like aggressive and tense, that I just had a different feel to, you know, the energy coming, coming across. And so that was really interesting. And, you know, I did need to still do a lot of work. You know, I still had it's de- you know, detox work to do. I still had endometriosis. Actually, I didn't say this in part of my story, but I discovered that I had stage four endometriosis and I had bowel involvement and one fallopian tube was completely blocked. So I ended up after about six months after my excellent surgery, deciding to go ahead and have excision surgery for that endometriosis. And part of that involved a bowel resection. So (laughs) 
Very unfortunate story, but you know, there's definitely an upside. There's always things to be learned from our our struggles, right? And so I don't regret anything. I think that if I hadn't gone through this experience, I would not be who I am or where I am in life today. But after that second surgery, about another six months later, so about a year after explant is when I really started to feel more like myself again. But the interesting fact is, and I'll just say this because there are so many other sources, it's almost like we have to be health detectives for ourselves all the time, right? And so every winter I noticed, even after that year, you know, of two surgeries and lots of detox work and dealing with pathogens and immune system and all of that, I had started noticing that every winter I was feeling terrible. I wasn't sleeping well. I was puffy. I was very tired irritable, you know, just kind of down and depressed. And it wasn't just because the, you know, a lack of sunlight (laughs) and it was every winter and it was new. And uh, the one thing that I connected the dots with is that the only thing that was different is that I had purchased this artificial Christmas tree that was, it came from China. So it's made with PVC piping that came from China. Mm -hmm. And I learned that PVC coming from China is coated in lead. And that lead off gases into the air. And here you are, here I am breathing this in for months at a time because I like to leave my tree up for like a quarter. (laughs) Breathing it in day in and day out. And no wonder I felt terrible. And so, you know, there's always little things that we just don't know about that once we finally do that detective work and discover it, then it's like you you realize you, you this whole new level of how you could feel and health, right? So- there's always new things that I'm discovering. There's always refining. There's always more detox work. But I would say it is about that year point where I started to feel quite a bit better. So if someone, you know, if someone, let's say, with uh, with thyroid autoimmunity gets or any any health condition, but, you know, if they get their uh, breast implants removed and a few weeks go by and they're still not feeling much of a difference, you would say not to get discouraged. You could, and some people maybe after a few weeks, they'll feel a lot better, but for others, it could be a much longer process. Yeah. I would say for a lot of women, it's a longer process. And you know, what I usually say about that is that, you know, you didn't get here overnight. You know, it's been usually years, if not decades of your body dealing with chronic sources of stress and toxic exposures. And, you know, the breast implants are just part of that. And, you know, so it's not going to be an overnight fix. You're not going to just miraculously heal from a surgery, you know. And so it takes patience and dedication and just faith in your own body's ability to self-heal. And it it will if you give it what it needs in order to do so. And you remove enough of the stressors on the body to where it can get out of survival mode, you know, and back into uh, getting getting back to balance to homeostasis. When, and it, it always wants to do that. Your body's constantly trying to get to homeostasis. And one thing I I heard, which I brought up earlier, sauna, and if someone is mm-hmm. suspecting breast implant illness, from what I heard, they probably shouldn't do sauna. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I definitely recommend to avoid a sauna uh, until explant, until probably a good month after explant is when most surgeons will give you the green light to go ahead and start using a sauna. It's a great detox tool. You know, there's been lots of studies done on 
far infrared light for, you know, stimulating the release of certain toxins and metals and from your tissues, and then you're sweating that out, right? So that's a really great tool to utilize. You know, it doesn't have to all be about supplements. And I think that's a great adjunctive therapy in addition to using, you know, oral chelators, things that will go into the tissues and pull out toxins and bind them up and hold on real tight until they're out of the body. But yeah, before explant, you know, you're heating that, you're heating those implants up even more. And so imagine the rate at which they may start bleeding if you're heating them up even more than body temperature. So I think that's definitely a good idea to avoid. And I would say some people do it anyway, and they either say they feel worse or they feel better. And I think either case is not great because if you feel better, you're probably releasing a lot of toxins, but at the same time, retoxifying yourself with heating those implants up and then bleeding more. If you feel worse, then you're definitely not ready for that kind of detox yet. And your drainage pathways are likely too sluggish to really Mm -hmm. actually get those toxins out. And rather than just mobilizing them and having them kind of circulate around, you want them to get out, right? And so feeling worse is not a good sign. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, Makes sense. And uh, before we wrap this up, is anything else that people should know, like maybe besides detoxifying, uh, do do you recommend you know, like mind body medicine, or I, mm-hmm. I, I, I assume you recommend what uh, an average functional medicine practitioner would, would do besides the, the detox process, which is quite complex. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my approach really is a, about the whole person about the whole body. And that includes, you know, mindset and emotion, emotional health, you know, and I think, you know, we're, we're more than physical beings. We're spiritual beings as well. And a lot of people enter into this journey, trying to get their health back through explant and just not really necessarily having their mindset right going into it and, and and not maybe being prepared for the emotional aspect of healing and what, what that might look like and feel like to them as they see a huge change in their physical appearance that they're not used to seeing. Um, you know, so there's many different pieces to that emotional well-being that need to be addressed. And it, you know, beyond breast implants, it's important to take a good look at your entire life from birth until now and pinpoint any significant stressors along your life, whether they be physical, chemical, structural, or tr- some kind of mental, emotional trauma right? We have to address all those things, even the things we don't want to look back at in order to heal, because all of them produce the same stress response in the body. And so relieving enough stress on the body is really important. And so we have to look at all the different types of stress. So that is really my approach is looking at addressing toxicity, addressing different types of stealth or chronic infections, and then addressing different types of trauma. Um, so that's all really important. No one piece is more important than the other. So you can't just focus on detox. You know, you can't just go on a bug killing spree or a candida diet or a anti candida diet or something like that and expect to get true and lasting healing. It needs to be a very comprehensive whole person kind of approach. And so, you know, I, I think a big part of that, the mindset piece is coming into this journey, knowing that it's, it's not going to be a straight line to healing. You know, there will be ups and downs. You probably will feel worse at times. And to get out of that sick mindset 
right? And people are always talking about how sick they are. I'm so sick. I I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm never going to get well. You know, I've tried all the things and I'm still sick. But I think it's important to reframe that and stop talking about yourself that way. Because regardless of what is true, whatever you think about yourself, even if you're not speaking it out loud, your body responds as if it is true. And so having that kind of mindset where you're constantly telling yourself about how sick you are and all the symptoms you're experiencing day to day just keeps you in that place. Hard to overcome that, even with doing all the right things physically. So yes, mindset is huge. It's equally as important as anything else. And we have to include that in in any healing journey. All right. Well said. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, everything. Uh, And yeah, and you you mentioned earlier your Facebook group, Reversing Breast Implant Illness, and also a website that people could find you. So yeah, my website is the same. It's reversingbreastimplantillness.com. And I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram. It's all the same name. So pretty easy to find me. And YouTube as well, same thing. Actually, you can find me on YouTube by searching Sarah Philippi. And yeah, and there's information about my Explant Reset program, um, which really addresses all the things that I just talked about on my website. All right, awesome. Well, thanks again, Sarah. Appreciate you sharing everything you know about uh, reversing breast implant illness. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. Thank you so much for tuning in. The reason why I decided to interview Sarah is because recently I've had a few patients with breast implants who thought the implants might be a trigger of their autoimmune thyroid condition. One patient got the implants removed, and I think it did improve her health, but she didn't go into remission. Another patient I worked with a few years ago, and she got into remission even with keeping the breast implants, but she still didn't feel 100%, and as of this recording, she is scheduled to have her implants removed. And another patient recently did get her implants removed and reported immediate improvement, and while it's too early to tell if this was the main trigger, her most recent thyroid blood test revealed a tremendous improvement. So once again, if you have breast implants, hopefully you will also consider getting them removed as even if it's not the trigger of your Graves disease or Hashimoto's condition, you still want to do everything to reduce your toxic load. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver, and it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune-modulating and adaptogenic properties, and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.